While it may feel secure, when you lock it, an experienced intruder can get in in about five kicks. Alex, show them how easy this is. Come on, Alex, kick it hard. <laughs> Come on, Alex. Alex, Alex. Come on, Alex, kick it. How much you sell the deadlocks for? <laughs> <laughs> A break-in occurs every 18 <laughs> seconds in the United States. <laughs> the doorknob's about to fall. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah! Oh, Are you okay? <laughs> this isn't going well. Typically, a break-in can happen in less than two minutes in the United States. Uh, in that Shark Tank pitch gone wrong, it would have been really nice to have a key, right? I mean, the door was not going to open, in that case, clearly, without a key. Uh, good morning to all of you. I'm so glad to see you. My name is Danny. I'm a pastor here at Hope Ames. You hear it all the time, and I just want to say it again. We believe it's no accident that you're here. We've been praying for you, and so the opportunity to worship together truly is amazing. We are now in week five of our series called Five Habits of Healthy Christians. Um, I'm not seeing my slides uh, on the screen. If I could get that, that would be super. Thank you. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you. This screen is cutting in and out. If, if I don't see it, it'll happen, but we'll, we'll try, right? Okay. Everybody take a deep breath. I'm fine. Are you fine? <laughs> I'm going to start trying to kick down doors pretty soon here. Uh, we're in week five of our series called Five Habits of Highly Effective Christians. Uh, you can see on the book cover there that it says, Gather, Growth, Love, Group, and Give. This last week, our topic is supposed to be give, but at Hope, we are one church in multiple locations. And part of the blessing of that is that if you go to different campuses at Hope, you might get a different perspective on the passage that we're teaching on. Um, if you are able to today, I really highly recommend that you take a listen to the message that was preached at our West Des Moines service, either last night or this morning. It is a sermon that is centered around Philippians chapter 4 in the theme of the gift of giving and how much freedom there can be when we get to a place of giving. Um, now today, I also want to tell you that you are a church that has been giving. You are a church who's experienced the gift of giving, and I'm so grateful for that. Back in November, we had a campaign, and it was called Field of Hope. Uh, we were raising money to hopefully purchase some land here in Ames, and uh, you just went above and beyond. It was so cool. And on the giving date, uh, you pledged $1.3 million, which was absolutely incredible. I'm so excited to, yeah, praise God for that. That's amazing. Our goal was to hopefully pledge $800,000, so you blew that away, which is amazing. But I have an update for you today. You've now raised that to $1.6 million. Thank you so much, and praise God for that. That's awesome. So with that being said, of course, we spent a lot of time talking about giving, talking about money back in November. And while that is very, very important for us to talk about those things, I want to make sure that we're also hitting some other areas of this passage. I'm going to touch on a different theme, but I think you'll still pick up on the theme of the gift of giving. So today, I'm going to be talking about the key to good living. It would be nice for that guy who's trying to blast through the door to have a key. Sometimes that's a metaphor for our lives, isn't it? I mean, it feels like what's between us and contentment, what's between us and satisfaction, what's between us and the life that we always wanted is a locked door. 
And we just desperately wish that we could get through that. Every single day when I was growing up, I drove to Waukee High School, and uh, at least in my high school years, and I would drive past a sign like this, and it was Waukee, the key to good living. Clearly, they haven't been to Ames, am I right? Anyway, <laughs> but I always wondered, what's the key, right? Like, what's the key? Is it the city itself? Is it the people? Is it the opportunities? What is the key to good living? Again, we're, we're going to talk about that today because we're trying to get to that place. We're trying to get to a place of peace. Paul, in the reading, claims that he has it. He claims that he has the key to good living. He says, I've learned the secret of living in every situation. In the Greek, the word for secret there is literally key. It's to unlock. It's not supposed to be a secret anymore. And just before then, he gives us the answer to it in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. He says, for I have learned how to be content. Say the word content, would you? I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I have learned the secret of living in every situation. So the habit that I want to highlight today for Christians, if we want to be healthy in our faith, is we want to practice peace. Turn to the person next to you and say, let's practice peace. Let's go ahead and practice peace. So what is contentment, right? Like, what is contentment? What is having peace in contentment in life? Here's what it's not. Contentment is not just having a bunch of different keys to quick satisfaction, right? Like, a lot of us are seeking contentment in a lot of different places. Market research found that the uh, self-help industry makes $10 billion a year. $10 billion, with a B. They're projecting that this year people will spend over $13 billion on self-help self help. Um, items. Now, I think that there are a lot of good things out there in the self-help industry. Maybe you find a book, maybe you find a blog that really helps you, that helps you understand the world, that helps you understand yourself, and that's good. But we're going to a lot of different places. We're trying to open up a lot of different doors, and oftentimes those can bring us peace in the moment, and that's a good thing, right? But what if you find yourself in that room and you're still not feeling content? Like you've gotten in the room, but, but there's still something else, there's still something more. When I was in seminary and I was an intern at my church, I was also the morning custodian at our church up there. And so as the morning custodian, I had one of these key rings, right? And I had a lot of keys on it. It was an older building, and so they had made some additions throughout the years, and some different doors had different locks. And so I had tons of keys. And sometimes it would take me like three minutes to open the door, because I'd be like, OK, not that key, not that key, not, not, not that key, ah, finally. And it's always the last key. It's always the last key, it feels like. And I felt like I was stuck. I felt like I was trapped. There was a door, and it was locked, and it was between me and where I wanted to go. I'm curious, is there a key? Is there a secret? Is there real peace? Is there real contentment that no matter what room we found ourselves in, it would give us the key to real good living? I mean real good living. The word that's used for contentment in the Bible, in the Greek, it, it's this. Would you go ahead and read this out loud together with me, this word? Go ahead. Ah, just kidding. Uh, that joke never gets old, and I'm sure you never get tired of it. It's autarkes. Literally means self-sufficient, strong enough. You just turn to the person next to you and say, strong enough. Say it with some grit. Strong enough! Strong enough. It's independent of circumstances. It's independent of needing help. It's self-sufficient. It is strong enough. It means that despite what the conditions are around you, you have what you've always wanted. Love, joy, 
peace. You've got these things. They cannot be taken from you. You have real contentment despite the circumstances. Does anybody here ever feel like they have a hard time being strong enough, especially considering certain circumstances? I wrote this in my e-newsletter this week, and I think it's worth saying again. My fingers have been numb for a month. It is so cold outside. I can't stop shivering. I'm always freezing. Anybody here miss summer? I mean, I love Iowa. I love how we get the different seasons. I appreciate it. I think sometimes we're just lying to ourselves when we say that, but nonetheless, we appreciate it. But I miss like being outside. I miss the sunshine. I miss the warmth. The most time I spend outside now is when I'm shoveling the bottom of our driveway after the plows come through and put up 12 feet of snow just right there for me to dig through. Now, if, if you're a snow plower, I want you to know I appreciate the work that you do. And I can tell when you're driving by and we make that eye contact, you're like, I'm so sorry I have to do this. You know, it's not fair. And they do a great job clearing our neighborhood, and I'm, I'm really grateful for it. But I'm out there, and I'm shoveling, and, and uh, I actually think we have some footage of me shoveling. Uh, it was about like this, and just getting really angry, and just really, yeah, no, it just wasn't going to work out. And Anybody feel like that? Anybody have an experience like that? Okay, it wasn't actually me, but that is definitely how I felt. Now, right before the pessimism froze into my soul permanently, I hear laughing coming from across the street. Not laughing at me, but people actually having a good time. It's my neighbor's kids. And they're not seeing the snow as a distraction. They're not seeing the snow as something to get in the way of their joy. Instead, it's a way to experience joy. They're hurling snowballs at each other as if that's fun. They're diving into giant piles of fluff as if that's any less cold than the snowball, snowballs that they're trying to dodge. They're just having a blast. And joy. I'm sitting there wondering to myself, well, what happened to me? You grouch. You used to be like that. You used to have that joy. I also used to wear 10 layers of coats and snow pants when I went outside. And for some reason now, I think I can shuffle the driveway in like sweatpants and a t-shirt. <laughs> Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, you heard this at the beginning of the reading today. Back one slide still. One slide back. There we go. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Have the self-sufficient kind of joy. The joy that does not depend on circumstances around you. And I think that this is the time where sometimes people are like, well, that's it, I've had enough of Christianity. That's not realistic. Christians, they just always pretend like everything's okay. No, we don't. Paul doesn't write this from a beach he doesn't write this in 85 and sunny temperature in 85 degree temperatures and a sunny condition day. He writes it from the floor of a prison and he knows he's probably about to be killed for professing the Christian faith. And he says, "Rejoice." He says, "Rejoice." Where does that come from? Wouldn't you like that? To have that kind of joy? Go ahead and say this to me. Say rejoice. Say it like you're really joyful. Rejoice! Rejoice! One more time. Rejoice! Rejoice! Anybody just feel a little bit lighter now? Maybe a little. Maybe not. <laughs> you're like, oh, I knew that he was going to make me scream again today. He always makes us talk to each other. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. That verse has changed my family's lives. My dad has said this verse my entire life. Always said it to us. I mean, my goodness, to a point where it started to get annoying. I was getting annoyed with the word of God. Like, hey, Danny, always be joyful. 
Say it again, rejoice. And he'd make me do what we just did. Say it, rejoice. I'm like, rejoice, 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 rejoice. But this verse has changed our lives. We don't just say it in the good times. I remember my dad reciting this verse and saying it out loud as he was sitting in a hospital bed after his heart surgery. And we had seven doctors, I think, standing outside the room, all awaiting to tell him more bad news. And he just kept saying this. Always be full of joy in the Lord. Say it again, rejoice. And he's looking at us. Come on, say it, rejoice. You guys, I need this right now. Let's say this together, rejoice. Would you say that with me again, church? Rejoice. Let's say it. Rejoice. rejoice. One more time. Rejoice. 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 Joy that is self-sufficient. Joy that does not depend on circumstances. Joy that is strong enough. Strong enough. Paul continues in the passage when he says, this is what I've found. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. Paul is at a point in his life where he cannot make money on his own. He's living in a prison. He's entirely dependent on the gifts of people around him. I've learned the secret of living, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. It's Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, and it's probably one of the, most, it's probably one of the top five most memorized verses in the Bible. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Maybe you've seen your favorite athlete uh, say this, read this, write it on their eye black during a football game or something. And I'm totally okay with that. But I do think that it's important that we put that verse in context here. Paul is not saying, I can do all things like win a Super Bowl. He's not saying I can do all things like make a ton of money. He's not saying I can do all things like get a promotion. He's not saying I can do all things like get a certain level of status in the community. He's saying I can live with joy. I can experience anything that comes my way and still have joy because of the strength that Jesus has. His strength is strong enough. It is self-sufficient. And he's put that in me. And no one, no one, can take that away. It's the beautiful thing about the contentment that God gives us. Nobody can take it away. Joy, in the Christian understanding of it, does not mean that your circumstances will always be good. Joy does not mean that if you work so hard, all of your wildest dreams will always come true. My wildest dream is that I would be the starting point guard for the Chicago Bulls. It's not going to happen. I'm 29 and a half today. Today's my half birthday. Thanks for remembering. But <laughs> I woke up this morning. I said to my wife, are we going to even talk about what today is? <laughs> she knew right away. She goes, it's your half birthday. She goes, here's half a hug. <laughs> so, yeah, she's clever. She's clever. I'm 29, right? Like, I, I can work as hard as I want. I'm not going to be the starting point guard of the Chicago Bulls. Why? I don't have the gifts. I might say I want to be as good as bas get basketball as LeBron, but I'm not six foot eight and 250 and have a 40 inch vertical. I just don't. It doesn't mean that just because you work really hard at something, God's going to give you the strength to accomplish exactly that. Sometimes it means that the bad things in life will come your way, but no matter what things come your way, you can have untouchable joy. Strength that can never be taken away from you. It's strong enough. Strong enough. Always strong enough. This changes everything in your life. This is the difference between indulgence and substance. Anybody here likes, like cinnamon rolls? I, I love cinnamon rolls, right? But what if you had to choose between the frosting 
in the roll. Now, if you asked me like as recently as, I don't know, like yesterday, I'd probably say, give me the frosting, give me the icing. But after what, two spoonfuls? I might start to feel a little bit sick. Okay, I've got some endurance, maybe four or five spoonfuls. <laughs> I mean, it's tasty, it's delicious, but I can't live off of just indulging on a pleasurable circumstance, a pleasurable thing, something tasty. All it really does is it stimulates the palate for your tongue. And so it is in our life. There are certain things that are really pleasurable and really enjoyable, and they make you feel really good in the moment. But if we just indulge in only the pleasurable experiences in our life, all it will do is it will stimulate the palate of our soul for a moment. But then there is real substance. You can't live off of icing or frosting. But that bread, that'll go a long way. There's real substance in it. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I'm strong enough. Whether you have actual bread to eat today or not, I mean seriously, that kind of deep and dark type of situation, the kind of place that Paul was living in that moment, I will give bread for your soul. I will give substance for your life. But how do we get that? Where do we go to? Because there are certain things in life that I could work as hard as I want to get to, but I would never get it because I'm not naturally talented and gifted in that way. But here's the cool thing. Paul says it clearly. Paul didn't have some sort of supernatural gift or talent that we can't attain. No, he says in Philippians chapter 4, I have learned this. It wasn't necessarily natural to me. I didn't have contentment before, but now I do. Paul at one point in his life had everything. He had social status, he had the degrees, he had the academics, he had the scholars all on his side saying, this is a great guy. He had everything he wanted. He was respected and feared. But it's when he's in the prison cell, losing everything seemingly to the world around him, that he says, I've got contentment. Now I've learned it. It's good news that this is something anybody can learn. You can learn real contentment. You can learn how to experience real peace. This is not something that just some people are gifted with in their life. This is something that God gives us all the opportunity to have. So I want to give three clear things that Paul points out in this passage that tell us how we can experience peace, how we can practice peace in our lives. The first one is think. Turn to the person next to you and say, think. Just think a little bit. Paul says this in verse 8 of, chap or of uh, chapter 4 of his letter to the Philippians. He says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. There are a lot of self-help products out there that will tell you that you just have to stop thinking about the bad stuff, right? Turn off your thoughts. Get away. But in the Bible, we're being told, no, think about it. Think about things. Think about everything in your life. Think about it all. But then think about what's excellent. Think about what's worthy of praise. Think about God. You can think about anything. You don't have to turn anything off because you are, your mind is focused. Your mind is set. Your mind is thinking about your creator. Think about it. Think about the story that's told to us in the Bible. God created creation, and it was excellent. As we see creation, we can look at God and say, you are certainly worthy of our praise. This is an honorable, right thing to do. 
Of course, some of the things that we do with creation, it is not always honorable, it's not always right, it's not always excellent, but what does God promise? Think about it. What does God promise? What does the Bible tell us? What has God promised for us? He has promised, and he has fulfilled that promise to show up in this world and to make things right again. And while we don't experience the fullness of making things right quite yet, we know, we know, we can think about it. Think about God. You don't have to turn off your mind to the things around you. This is what's different about Christianity. You don't have to turn off your mind. All we have to do is think bigger. Don't exclude certain thoughts from your mind. Just remember, yes, I am existing within a problem right now, but my problem does not have the power to go outside the reach of God's strength. Where does my problem exist? It exists within the abilities and power and strength of God. Think about God. The second thing that Paul gives us is he says, think. Everybody say, think. Think. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 now, Paul says this, and it's quite interesting. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Now, in the English language, it doesn't quite capture exactly what Paul is saying in the Greek there, but what he's actually saying is, simultaneously, as you are asking God for things, thank him while you're doing it. That's weird, isn't it? Usually, we don't thank someone until they've done it, right? But Paul is saying, go ahead and ask God for anything and thank him before anything happens. And you're saying, okay, well, how do I know if God's going to give me what I asked for or not? You don't. But you do acknowledge that God's got creation in his hands. That God can handle all the problems in this world, whether they work out the way that I want them to or not. God has the capability to turn anything bad and create it into something good. No, it doesn't mean that God throws the bad things at us in our life all the time. That does not, it's not what it means. But what it does mean is that God is so good at making good things, he can take the bad things and repurpose them for something good. How beautiful is that? Romans 8, chapter 28, it tells us that God works in all things for the good of those who love him. All things, not just the good things, not just the bad things, but all things. And so if there are bad things that are happening in our life, sometimes we look and we think there's nothing that could ever come out of this that would be good and worthy for my life. Are you kidding me? Just remember the day that Jesus died. Remember his friends who wouldn't even show up to the crucifixion because when they looked at that, they thought nothing good could come out of this. Everything's ruined. What's happening? Everything's out of control. And yet if they just would have looked, they might not have noticed it then. But they would have been looking straight in the face of the greatest thing God's ever done. Putting death to death. Giving us life, everlasting joy with him forever. Contentment. Peace. We don't thank God because God will always give us everything that we've wanted. God's never promised that. But throughout the totality of Scripture, what I do believe we see is that God gives us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that God knows. When a child of God goes to God, we thank God, knowing that he has our best interests in mind. Truth is, there are things that I've asked for in my life that it's a good thing my parents didn't give them to me. And if I could go back, if I was conscious of everything that was happening, when I asked for a T-Rex for my fifth birthday, I would have said, thank you so much for not giving that to me, right? be terrible. Thank God while you're asking. And then the third thing is this, it's, it's trust. So you think, you think, I mean, because, I mean, okay, you can have all these great lists of different things that God has done, and it's awesome, 
But after a while, like, it takes a leap of faith, right? We have to trust. Paul says this in, in verse 7. He says, his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Anybody have this experience when they're in line for a roller coaster? Like, you're seeing time after time the roller coaster goes around, lap after lap after lap, people going on scared, and they come off, they're happy, they're joyful. Some are still scared, but nonetheless, they're okay, they're safe. And like, okay, I've seen the evidence over and over again. It's going to be fine, but after a while, you have to sit in the seat. And you could stay back. You could not get in the seat. You, couldn't, you could just decide, I'm not going to buckle up, and you'd be safe, right? But you wouldn't be living. You'd be missing out. And so maybe for a long time, you've seen that God's transformed the hearts of people around you. I mean, he's given them real contentment. Not through superficial gifts. Not through their job. Not through their money. Not even through the relationships in their life that just seem to be perfect. But God's given you strong enough contentment. You've seen that in lives of people around you. It's time to trust God with that for yourself. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. He will let you experience real life. The word for guard there in the Greek, it's, it's a military term. And what it literally insinuates is that there would be an army, a full army surrounding a city at night to keep it safe. It doesn't matter what's on the outside. If an army is surrounding you, you sleep well at night, don't you? Again, when it comes to the Christian understanding of, space, of, of peace, when it comes to the kind of peace that Christ can give us, we can be content whether we have a lot or we have a little because we know that the power of God is guarding our hearts and our souls and our minds, and that's one thing the enemy can never touch. Never touch. Here's the truth. Christian peace does not mean the absence of problems in your life, but it does mean the presence of God's strength that is enough for you. Whether you have a lot or whether you have a little. Think, think, and trust. And then see the transformation. You will see transformation in your life. You will see a different level of contentment a level of peace that you didn't know was possible and none of the circumstances around you would have to change for that to happen. But you've been given this access. John chapter 3, verse 16 is the most famous verse in the Bible. It says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, defines that love. We know what real love is, the kind of love that God has for us. Because Jesus gave up his life for us. What, what does that mean? Jesus gave up his life. What was Jesus' life, right? Like Jesus was a human, like fully human, fully God. It's the mystery of the incarnation of God, right? And coming into the world as Jesus. What was the life of Jesus? As he lived this perfect life, what did he also have? He had perfect contentment. He had perfect peace. And 1 John is telling us that he gave all of that up. He didn't just give up his physical life. He gave up his soul well-being. 
He gave up his contentment. He gave up his peace. On the cross, he is recorded dying as a screaming man. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the cross, the Savior that was always full, always balanced, always level-headed, always certain, always confident, he says, I'm thirsty. And you've got to know that's more than physical thirst. It's also spiritual thirst. He was empty. He gave it all up. And it was the key. It was the key. No matter what room you find yourself in, no matter what door is in front of you, on the other side of this door that Jesus gladly opens for you is real contentment. Self-sufficient, strong enough, independent of the circumstances and conditions around you. Um, One of my uh, bosses at the church in the Twin Cities He saw me one day struggling with the keys, right? Like just taking like three minutes to get one door open again, just trying to go through every single one. I'm not a labeler. I didn't label my keys. His name is Jeff, and he comes up to me one day. He goes, I think you could use this. I'm like, what's that? He goes, this is a master key. (laughs) Man. It's the key that makes all the other keys like, Okay, they're good, right? They still have a purpose. But none of them compare to this. Jesus is the key. Jesus is the secret. Jesus is the one you think about. Jesus is the one you think. Jesus is the one you trust. He will always, always hold the door open for you to peace, to contentment. And sometimes it takes a lot to trust him to get there. I know that. But it's a good thing you don't have to have a supernatural gift just to get there. God gives us, gives us that opportunity, each of us. It says Jesus gave up his life for us, so we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now, in that context, it's specifically talking about like our gifts, our finances. Like, yeah, it, If you have a lot, it says, if you are living with plenty in your life, how could you not give to the people around you? those who don't have enough. I mean, what luck, what fortune. What did I do to be born where I've been, to have the opportunities that I have, to have the brain that I have, to have the people in my life that I have? I mean, seriously, what are the... I did nothing for any of it. I did nothing for any of it. Therefore, I don't need any of it to be, pe- to be at peace. Doesn't mean that those things aren't good. A lot of them are good things. A lot of them are good things. But it's not where you'll find your peace. It's not where you'll find your contentment. Jesus is your strong enough key to your contentment. Trust him. And let it transform your life. So you'd be cheerful about what you give, but also, also, you'd be cheerful about what you receive, too. Because that's hard, too, isn't it? It's one thing to get yourself to be in a place of being like, okay, I will cheerfully serve this person. I will cheerfully help this person. I will cheerfully uh, give my life for this person. But a lot of us really struggle when we're the ones who are needing help, don't we? And I think that it's a lack of contentment. I have to be the one who earns it. I have to be the one who makes it. I have to be the one who stops it. Whatever it might be, right? 
Maybe this morning God's not calling you so much to give, but God's calling you to receive. First and foremost, his love, but also community, friendship, help from the people around you. You can be content knowing I didn't, I didn't have to earn every good thing that came into my life. Think about God. Trust God. Thank God. Have peace. Stop wrestling so much to get whatever you can out of this world and have true contentment because Jesus has opened the door to strong enough peace. Amen. Let's stand on up and sing a song together.